Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. My name is Mike and Davina, and thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Today, my guest is Katie Tavini, who is a UK-based mastering engineer who has very quickly become one of the most in-demand mastering engineers in the UK. She also runs a mastering collective called Weird Jungle Mastering, which is a group of mastering engineers who all work together to help out various artists, as well as to help each other out and In this interview, Katie goes into some details of how that collective works and who's involved and why it all started in the first place. We also get into a great chat about learning the process of mastering and what to be listening for, how to learn the tools. And as you'll hear in this interview, Katie is a self-taught mastering engineer. So there was a lot that she did along the way to learn all of these different techniques and to learn the process. And she shares all about that in this interview here, too. So I think that you're going to really enjoy this episode and get a lot of great stuff from it. So let's just jump right into it. Katie Tavini, thank you so much for being on the Master Mix podcast. How's it going? Hi, good. Thanks for having me. Of course. For people who might not be familiar with you or your work or your background, how you got into music and ultimately to what you're doing these days with mastering, can you give us that story? Sure. Uh, It's really long. Go for it. Is that okay? (laughs) So, um... Oh, do you want the long or the long, long? Whichever. <laughs> so basically, um, I went to uni and I did a music course. And it was fine. It was really good. Um, uh, but there was a really small recording studies module on the course. And I knew that I didn't want to do performance as a job. I was always really interested in kind of the tech side of things. And I had Cubase on a computer at home and, you know, played around with that and stuff and recorded friends bands and I'd done a little bit of live sound in pubs and stuff but um I didn't really know how to do it for a job so when this recording studies module on my degree showed up I was like yeah this is cool um and it was a really creative um module and it was basically a case of here's the studio go and have a go play around with it, see what happens, make something, come back and show it us. We'll listen to it and give you feedback from there. So there was no kind of tech training or anything. It was very much the studio is a creative tool. Let's see what you can do. And I love that so much. And I spent all of my (laughs) free time in there, like all of it. Um, I used to... (laughs) buy studio credits off my friends in exchange for beer um so that I could spend more time there and then one day one of my um one of my tutors stopped me in the corridor and he was like hey you're here all the time um I've been offered a job in a studio but I can't take it do you want it so I was like cool okay I thought I'd be making tea for a couple months and that would be it um but I ended up working as an engineer for an amazing keyboard player called John Ellis, um, an amazing folk producer called Bill Leader. Um, and Bill was 80 when I started working there. This is in 2009. Um, and he was still producing at 80. And so, he, like, because he'd seen all of the kind of everything, he'd, he'd seen it all. 
who was <laughs> so amazing to learn from. And so is John. Like, John is the most, I think, the most creative person I've ever met. He's an absolute wizard. <laughs> and so between the two of them, like, working in the studio was such, like, yeah, I I can't kind of express how grateful I am for that opportunity because it was, um, yeah, just amazing, amazing place, recording amazing music. Um, and so that was really cool. And then sort of after that, I did like the freelance thing and, you know, didn't really know what I was doing with my life, <laughs> produced some bands and it was it was kind of average, but... If you work as a freelance engineer, people expect you to be able to mix, especially at the very entry level where there's not necessarily, a, you know, a separate budget for a mix engineer. And I suck so hard at mixing. <laughs> <I can laughs> it just, it overwhelms me. I get bored easily. I don't like it. There's too many choices to make. It just, it's never felt natural to me or whatever and so I practice so much but this you know this is going back a long time and it was before YouTube tutorials were really a thing and uh you know home studios looked really really different back then um and so I practiced but I couldn't I just couldn't get into it and I went on a on a music forum <laughs> and kind of asked some advice and someone said if you want to learn how to mix learn how to master and I'd, you know I was just willing to take any advice and I just thought that everyone knew better than me so I was like okay well you know I'll start practicing on songs that I'm working on so I started kind of <laughs> this is really cringe but I started kind of doing a fake master of them and trying to match them up to the professional master that came back I was stuff that I'd been working on and sort of by trial and error I was like why doesn't mine sound like theirs why have they why have they made it sound this way and that kind of stuff um and I really like the process and I just practiced and practiced and I didn't read any internet forums <laughs> I just kind of did my own thing and then one day, uh, so I say that like internet forums are a bad thing. They're not. I'm saying that because just so that you are aware of how little tech knowledge I had. So, you know, no one had said to me like, you know, make sure your masters aren't clipping or whatever. <laughs> so I didn't know <laughs> these things basically, but I was having a go and through sort of, you know, trying to match my my fake masters up with the proper ones that came back, I was able to like have a look and see that people weren't doing these things. But I didn't know why. Um, and, you know, that's quite, it's weird Googling why, why is a, <laughs> why is a master only going up to like minus 0.1 dB? Why isn't it going up to zero? Because when you don't know, you think that zero is like, that's the top. Surely it should mm -hmm. go to the top. Um, so, yeah, it's quite um, eye-opening Googling why that's not the case. So I didn't have kind of the tech knowledge, but I was really kind of getting to grips with practicing listening and kind of working out why 
you know, different mastering engineers were doing certain things and making things sound a certain way. And um, one day I went on Facebook and I had a message from a guy who we had loads of mutual friends. And he said in his message, it was like midnight, and I don't know why I read it, but it was like, hey, um, I'm looking for a mastering engineer. Do you know anyone? I was like, sure, I can put you in touch with some people. And he was like, no, I need someone now, like right here, right now, because we've got to deliver this in the morning. Um, do you want to have a go? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> said, no, I'm not a mastering engineer. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, anyway, he was very persuasive. And we basically agreed that I'd have a go. But if it was terrible, please don't use it because it's bad for us both. And, you know, we bounced different versions back and forth throughout the night. And then in the morning, he went and he played it to the band. They loved it and it got used. And then he offered me an album off the back of that. And I was like, oh, okay, I best learn all of this tech stuff that I don't know about. I best go and buy some like, I guess speakers. I'm a mastering engineer now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the album that I did did really well on the punk scene. And then off the back of that, I got more work. And that was when I was really like, okay, I need, I need to kind of be a bit more aware of the tech side of things. Um, and that's when I kind of started, I guess, learning a bit more intentionally rather than just to just out of curiosity. <laughs> so it's been a process. <laughs> I love that. I, but I love that you just went for it, you know, without... Because there's so many, there's so many people listening to this who I know right now are saying to themselves, like, I want to be a professional at this, but I'm just not good enough. And like, they're waiting for like a day when they're like perfect and they never mess up and they just like feel so confident and everything. And it's like that day never really comes. You have I to mess just up all of, the time still. <laughs> same. So it's like, it's like, you just have to kind of take advantage of those opportunities when they come your way and you're either going to win or learn from them, you know, and you're going to just like you're going to get that experience and you'll probably make some mistakes along the way and you're going to learn some lessons. And then the next time around is going to be a little bit easier and it's just going to progressively get easier and easier. But like, I think that, you know, the way you handled that situation is, is brilliant because yeah, you were, you were a little afraid to take it on at first, <laughs> but you went for it and it started this career for you, you know? Yeah. And so for, for people listening to this, it's like, don't feel like you need to have all your stuff together, like to, to, to get started, like just get started. And your first time around might not be perfect, but at least you started and now you can create momentum and, and keep going with it. So yeah, I love that. Something to be said about being young and stupid, like the kind of, you know, you just, you have zero fucks when you're young and stupid. <laughs> I think maybe with age, you, you start to worry a bit more. Um, but yeah, that's definitely, <laughs> um, that helped, I think. And mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess it just, I don't know. I was so desperate to not have to get an office job. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something in music. I knew I wanted to do something in the tech side of music. So I'd just been saying yes to, you know, basically everything. Like, you know, in uni, a friend wanted a remix of a song. Okay, I'll do one. I've never done that before, but I'll have a go. Because, I, <laughs> you know, and it's fun. And I think music should be fun. And, you know, it's something to share with other people and it's emotional and it's just good, isn't it? 
So totally. I get really frustrated when I see really, really talented people overthinking stuff like bluffs. It's like, why? Just, just make it sound good. Have mm-hmm. fun. Make it sound good. Are you happy? Is the artist happy? Job done. Like that's the only thing that should matter. It should like totally. we shouldn't be kind of thinking of music within all of these, you know, boundaries and stuff. Like art is subjective. There's no right or wrong answer, and it really pisses me off when, like, you see someone who's so good and they're like, "Can you listen to this master for me?" I'm worried about the luffs, and I'm like, "What? No, it sounds amazing. Please don't worry." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, I I would say, kind of, I would love it so much if more people just stop thinking, overthinking it, and just you know, just go and do something, do something that you love, that you're passionate about, and that's I don't know, that's the whole reason why any of us do this. Absolutely, I lo- I love that though. I think that that's a really good point that you bring up there. Is that like we we sometimes feel like we need to learn all of the technical side of things. And it's like, at the end of the day, the people listening to this don't know the technical side of things. They don't know if you, what compressor you use on this or that. And like at the end of the day, all they're curious about is, does it sound good? You know, is it like a catchy song that sounds good? You know, and to the artist, it's like when they get a master back, it's like, does this sound better than what I submitted? Because if it does, then job done, you know? And so I think sometimes taking that step back and seeing that big picture view is really important because, yeah, like I, I certainly like for, for some of my projects, even to this day, like I still don't know all of the perfect technical ways to do things. And, you know, perfect isn't even like a real thing. You know, it's like there's a lot of technical ways that people are going to tell you you should you should follow. But like at the end of the day, I've never lost a client because they've been like, oh, like you didn't meet this level of luffs or whatever. You know, it's like they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, like, if you stick a child in front of a piano, they'll just go nuts. They'll just, like, bash it and they'll have a dead good time. Whereas if you stick an adult in front of a piano, they'll be really, like, gentle and kind of pick out a few notes and try and make something that actually sounds good. And I think, I don't know, when I think about sort of my (laughs) self-confidence or sometimes lack of, (laughs) it's... It is, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but I feel like we should just enjoy things a bit more and not care as much what people are going to think. Um, and, you know, be that child bashing away, having a really good time on the piano and not, you know, it just, it, it doesn't matter, does it? Like, we're not doing brain surgery. No one's going to die. So... Yeah. <laughs> I love that. No, but, but I that's feel like a great this needs example. a disclaimer. Like, Katie's had the flu and is having painkillers. This is this rant. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think that that's like, that. that is actually a really great point to make. Just like, you know, having fun while you work. And I think for a lot of people, it's easy to not have fun because you're so concentrated on the process. And, you know, we all got into music because it was something for fun. You know, like your example of like a, a kid on a piano versus an adult. I think that's an amazing uh, metaphor because it's it, it's it's so true. You know, it's like the kids are just having a great time and adults are like, I don't know. Is this the right note? Whatever. You know? So it's like 
both I mean, both are music, but one person's having more fun with it. So why not be the person that has more fun with it? Really? You know? And yeah. also, I think, I don't know, but I feel like if I've really had a good time working on someone's track, I think they can tell when they hear the master. I think they know if I've really, really loved it. I mean, I, I try and, I love everything I work on. Like I try, have to try and find something that I love about every single thing I work on. But obviously that comes a lot easier with some things than others. And I think people can hear when I've had like a really fun day. <laughs> of course, that makes a lot of sense. And I even think of that too from like just a performance standpoint of like, I played so many gigs where the sound guy is just like, super grumpy and like you know just like such an asshole and then at the end of those gigs i'm like that i don't know how i feel about that gig you know maybe <laughs> the show is fun but like i remember that, that that grumpy sound guy or whatever you know and then like times where it's an amazing experience all around i'm like yeah i want to play that place again i want to have that guy help me you know or like and i think that that's that's the experience we're all trying to create for people you know we want to be that person that enjoys what we do and that other people feel at and want to continue to work with you. So really? yeah, I, I love that. I think that that's a really good point. Um, Cause sometimes we get focused, we get too focused on the music and or on the technical side of things. And it's just like, no, we're, we're doing this for fun. You know, otherwise we could just get a, a day job that we absolutely hate. So why not have fun <laughs> with it? Right. I, I'm curious to know. So you had mentioned that um, you got that piece of advice that if you wanted to become a better mixing engineer, you should learn mastering. And yeah. I'm curious to know, once you learned how to master, did you feel like you became a better mixing engineer? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> so interestingly, like, I do have to give mixed feedback a lot for people. Um, you know, people that I work with, they often want a bit of feedback or whatever. And that's cool. And I feel quite comfortable being able to say, oh, you know, this could be tweaked. This would be really fun. Whatever. Um, all functional stuff, not creative stuff because that's not my place at all but um I wouldn't know how to do those things I mean maybe if I practiced maybe I'd you know maybe if I started learning to mix from scratch then you know maybe I would <laughs> maybe I really don't know but I don't feel like I have the um I don't think I've got the personality to mix I've got quite a short attention span and the thing I really love about mastering is that every single day is different and I don't just work on one type of music. I work on everything. And, you know, you could have 10 singles by 10 different artists in one day. And that variety is what really keeps me excited. And that's what keeps me going. Whereas when I, when I have mixed in the past, and you're maybe spending a week on an album, I just, I can't, I can't get... You know, there's a there's a very quick point where I start switching off and wanting to do something else. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't think I have the personality to mix. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe in the future, it's something I'd maybe have a go just for fun. I don't know. But yeah. yeah, 
I bet you you'd be good at it if you went back because now I, I imagine that you know your early your point there of like you give advice to people all the time about you know how to prepare the mix for mastering like that's an important thing and I guess that's taking that big level view of the mixing process yes maybe like you wouldn't feel comfortable going in and like tweaking all the individual tracks but you can at least take that big picture of point of view and be like okay like the vocals are way too loud here or your snare drums too to compress or whatever like you could probably you could probably give that kind of detailed information to help somebody create a better better mix and i'm sure that like yeah you, if if someone were to implement those fixes their mix would sound better and then that's going to make the mastering process better so in that case maybe yeah maybe learning mastering does help with making better mixes um you know but i'm curious to know would you give that same would you give that same advice to someone who is struggling with mixing as well um no i'd say Find a mix engineer that you really, really like and offer them some money in exchange for a lesson or some feedback. <laughs> that, that makes sense. That would be my advice because, yeah. you know, I don't feel like learning. I don't feel like if you're learning a skill that you're struggling with, learning a different skill isn't going to make you learn the skill that you're struggling with better. It's just going to confuse things. <laughs> like, you know, if you're learning to ride a bike and someone says, oh, like, there's a skipping rope here. Why don't you learn this if you're struggling to ride your bike? <laughs> you know, your chances are you're going to suck at them both and be really underwhelmed with everything. Whereas if you can, you know, just invite someone out for a coffee and have a chat, you're going to feel way more energized by it and actually want to learn. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I think uh, you're absolutely right. It's like, it shifts, it shifts your focus. So, you know, you can't really learn the thing you really want to learn if you're focusing on something completely different. Um, yeah, I, I get that for sure. Um, yeah, because I, I saw that you you'd posted about that on your website, like that story of someone telling you, like, learn how to master to, to become a better mixer. And so I, I was curious to know, like, did, did in the end you like feel like you were a better mixer? So <laughs> that's yeah, interesting. Um, cool. So so as far as like once you actually started learning the mastering side of things and you started going down that that rabbit hole, um, you talked about how you were just like you didn't really have like formal training in that, you know, no. to take, to take your own advice. You didn't have a mastering engineer that you worked with who was showing you how to do this and that. So I didn't. And you know what? I, ah, it's, it's a weird one. Like I would have really, really liked to have had a mentor or, you know, just someone who I could ask for feedback or just point me in the right direction, give me books to read, whatever, that kind of stuff. But I guess when I was starting out, it was, kind of bef like social media was a thing but it was you know you couldn't just slide into someone's dms and be like hi i like your music can i take you for a coffee and ask you some questions <laughs> um it wasn't really like that and so it yeah it just it felt very much like you're on your own um so yeah i didn't take my own advice but hindsight that's mm -hmm. that's what i would have done if I knew, but I didn't know. <laughs> for sure. But I know that there's people listening to this as well who, for whatever reason, they don't aren't willing to invest in themselves and hire a mentor or something like that or take programs, that kind of thing. So there are a lot of people that are in a very similar situation to what you found yourself in where they're just trying to learn it all themselves. And, you know, they're 
for lack of a better term, like I guess they're kind of guessing at what to do in a lot of ways, you know? So when you look back at your process and how you learned and, and some of the things that you were doing to understand the process of mastering and to kind of reverse engineer what you were hearing in these records, like, how did you tackle that? Like, what, what kind of things were you listening for to, to, to learn this stuff? Or like, how, how, how did you learn it? <laughs> um, not very well. <laughs> so, yeah, just kind of, I mean, obviously, because I've been working in a studio, I knew what, like, EQ and compression and limiters and stuff was. Um, and... Yeah, I guess I was just trying to, you know, figure out what <laughs> what went where. Like, you know, if you move the order of a chain, what changes? Like, how does it change the sound? Um, yeah. You know, why why does their version have more bass than mine? Um, why does their version sound a lot kind of less harsh on the top end than mine? <laughs> <laughs> these kind of things um i mean i've done a lot of critical listening anyway because of my music degree um and you know that was a big part of kind of my studies um so yeah i was used to kind of comparing stuff and listening with intent um so god it feels like ages you know, the first ever release that I worked on got released 10 years ago, like last month. Wow, which, congrats. Thanks. <laughs> like, that feels like an eternity, but also in kind of mastering engineer years, that's not very, like, that's not really a long time at all. Um, but yeah, I just kind of played around and really, I don't know, just tried to be as objective as possible and... I guess, kind of try and work out what I was listening for. Because you can listen to two things, like two masters of the same thing, and go, hmm, these are different. But it's the why are they different, which is there. Mm -hmm. That's the hard thing. Like, and when you don't really know the language for something, it is, <laughs> it is hard. I'm not sounding totally. particularly smart here. But, you know, it was purely trial and error um like you know just changing the attack and release times on a compressor and saying how does how does that make this different and you know just trying different limiters and saying what what does that do to the sound and putting the eq and the compressor in a different order and going what what is this doing how how is it different and do i like it um so, yeah, quite a few, just few, many, many, many hours spent <laughs> just really playing around. But I think that you kind of summed it up in a really good way. You said you were listening with intent, and I think that that's really important. You know, you were actually taking the time to sit down and listen to, you know, how, how does it sound different if I change the attack and release? Or, you know, listening, why is this one different than this one? And even if you don't necessarily know the words to describe it, you can, you're feeling those things. And I think that sometimes that feel reaction is a really important one because you're chasing it. 
and you know maybe it's like you didn't know okay like 60 hertz is where that like kick thump is coming from but you were like okay i'm gonna find how do i make that thump come out and you're probably sweeping around with eq until you found it right so I, i think that like yeah listening with intent is the biggest thing there it's not just like looking at it from the big picture sometimes and it's like i know we've been talking about how like big picture sometimes a good thing but but sometimes you can go too far out and to that point where you don't realize like you're just like overwhelmed by the 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 differences sometimes and you know you gotta focus on one thing at a time and once you learn those little details it makes it all kind of click a little bit more so um yeah i, I was just curious to know that and because we had talked about like how your advice would be to find someone to, to mentor you if you could start over, would you do the same? Like, do you think you would have learned faster had you done that? Um, yeah. So, um, I started a mastering collective because I got really, really busy and I wanted to, uh, basically recommend people for mastering that had a similar ethos to me, um, in their approach. And so I met a mastering engineer called Stephen Carrison. I've been working with him for kind of a year and a half now and it clicked really really well um and then the other mastering engineer who I've been working with is called Izzy McPhee and she's incredibly new um and I met her because I was a mentor for her on an audio program and at the start of the <laughs> program she wanted to do mixing um and then she played me something that she'd mastered and said oh can you can you have a listen to this? I've just mastered this for for a friend. Um, I'd just love some feedback if that's okay. And I listened to it and it was amazing. It was so good. But she, so I think we've been working together for about two years on a sort of mentor basis. Um, and she, kind of two years down the line, is where I was after about seven years. She has been a DJ, so she already knew, like she knows, she's really, really instinctive about what music should sound like. Like that's just built into her, like she's incredible. Um, But yeah, I guess sort of being pointed in the right direction, every master that she's done, um, I've been QCing it before she sends it off to the artist. So, you know, most of the time, she doesn't need any feedback whatsoever, but just sometimes it's a little bit like, oh, you could push that a little bit harder or, you know, maybe think about a little bit more bass here or whatever. Um, but just the feedback and having myself, Stephen and Carla, our bookings manager as a support system has really kind of, I think, helped her not feel super alone. Um, and because of that, she's been so, so proactive with kind of going and learning the technical stuff, going and practicing. And it's made her, you know, her masters are just fantastic. So, you know. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, what took me seven years, taken her two years. So yeah. that's kind of, uh, yeah. That's the power of mentorship right yeah, there. Yeah, so after seeing, you know, how far, but also, you know, she has worked so hard. You know, that's not because she's had a mentor. That's because she's a really hard worker and she's really passionate. It takes both yes. because you, you, you have a mentor to show you the things that you need to know, but you have to practice those things. Yeah. Cause, cause if you just practice every day, all day, but you're practicing the wrong things, then it's still going to take you as long. Totally. But yeah, 
that's kind of why I think that, yeah, if I was starting out again, I'd totally get a mentor. If I ever decide to mix, I will get a mentor. <laughs> Probably won't happen. <laughs> I'm sure you learn from a lot of other people now to this day too, right? It's like oh, totally. there's other, other mastering, you know, even in your collective, there's, you know, different uh, experiences and stuff like that that you can learn from. And, you know, there's, there's always something to learn, right? It's not like we've, 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 we learn it all. Yeah, that's a great thing about you know, being in a collective, we've learned so much from each other in such a small space of time. And, you know, mastering can be really lonely. And certainly when I was starting, or yeah, basically until I set up this collective, um, did feel really isolated doing this as a job. Whereas now kind of having colleagues to learn from is just amazing. But like, if you, I guess if you are sort of in the traditional route of doing mastering or, you know, maybe in studios as well, like engineering. So when I was engineering, there were people around me that I could ask questions. But as soon as you start mastering from a, like a home studio, that's gone. Um, whereas if you're working at a mastering house where there's lots of different engineers, you always have people to ask. Whereas, you so know, true. the people who are sat behind the internet just... <laughs> It's, it can be really isolating and yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting. I, I was curious to know about your collective because I was, I was interested to get your stance on the idea of collaboration versus competition, because some people would think like, why would I create a, uh, like a collaborative kind of thing when, you know, like these people are competition and, and, you know, I'm passing on work to, to competitors and that kind of stuff. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. And like, you know, how, you know, you talked about how mastering was kind of lonely, and that was one of your reasons for starting this collective. But, um, you know, did that idea ever cross your mind of like competition being an issue? No, not at all. I mean, the main reason why I set up the collective is because I got too busy. Um, and so I think I, I don't want this to sound braggy because it's weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got I got kind of too fully booked basically a year after I went full time mastering, um, and you know I was sending out lists of people to recommend. Um, I really wanted to recommend people who had people who were music fans. I'm a music fan. <laughs> I really wanted to recommend people who were just dead. That's the first thing is the music. Um, and people that also had that kind of ethos and also people who are independent and good people and I know will kind of do everything to make a record the best it can sound. I never want to recommend someone who I don't feel like that's going to be the case. Um, like they have to be 100% passionate. And when I met Stephen, um, you know, we just, we operate like very, very similar. <laughs> Our masters sound super similar. Um, and it just kind of all fell into place. And, um, you know, I'd recommended him for a few things and everyone sent me messages saying, oh, thanks for putting us in touch with Stephen. You know, had a great time. Love the masters, dead happy. And so I was like, oh, yeah, it'd be nice to kind of have something more official um and it's good because for example as you know I was <laughs> off sick last week 
Um, normally, if you're freelance, you know, what happens? People book in, you know, two or three months in advance. They need their project mastering. They've probably got, like, pressing slots and stuff to get their, you know, their masters ready for. Um, and then I'm off sick for a week. What happens? Like, do I just do a really busy week the next week? Or, you know, do I say to people, oh, sorry, there's nothing I can do? Whereas, you know, having Stephen and Izzy there, it's a safety net. It means that I can't work, but they can. Um, and then having Carla, our bookings manager, who is just amazing, being able to sort of facilitate that change and kind of be the go-between and uh, manage everyone's diaries. It works really, really well. And I don't know, there's just never been an element of competition. I think, and I really, really believe this, there is enough music out there for everyone. Like there's a place for everyone. You've got to work hard, but there is room for everyone. Everyone has something different and unique to offer. It's not, yeah, I don't know. I, I see other engineers as colleagues and not competition. I think if you, if you start getting threatened by other people, that's quite sad. You should be excited. Like, you know, when when other mastering engineers get nominated for Grammys and stuff, that's a win for all of us. You know, they do Absolutely. well. People see that they do well. People understand that mastering is a necessary part of, you know, the the music world. Um, and they understand more. And that's a win for everyone. Um, so yeah. I I really yeah. love seeing people's successes and it makes so it makes me happy. I love cheering people on and it just feels nice. I don't think I could do this if I felt like everyone was kind of competition and you know I have had people have <laughs> had people tell me before like oh you're my competition and it's just it's weird. I'd rather be the mate, you know. It's like hurtful to hear that. It's like, am I? What? Like, you know, it's a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that though. I, you know, and when you see people as as colleagues instead of competition, really, you know, to to what you said there, it's like it really just allows you to improve the quality of life that you live, and like you know, everyone's improving everyone's life and and the way they work, and you know, like I love that example of like when you're sick, you could pass it on to someone else, or vice versa, and it's just like just everyone's just making it easier for each other and working together to just serve the audio community. And that's what it comes down to. Right. Totally. And, and you're having fun doing it because you're not feeling overwhelmed <laughs> and pressured by all, all that stuff. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, it sounds like, it sounds like having fun is, is definitely a big part of your process. And well, you uh, know what? like it's such hard work to make a living in this industry. It's really hard. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh yeah it's that easy um because it's not I feel like if it wasn't fun then what's the point like if you don't enjoy it what's the point you might as well go and get a like a steady nine to five where you you know you know how much you're going to earn each month and you don't have to go out and look for the work and you don't have to do a tax return and you don't have to you know do all yeah. of the extra <laughs> stuff that comes with with being a freelancer um 
But the fact that it's fun and you get to work with amazing people and creative people and make something that everyone's really proud of, that's what makes it worth all the hard work. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I love that. No, that's so true. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I'm glad to hear that. Um, one other thing that I wanted to ask you about was your mastering space that you work out of. Um, and when I was doing my research on you, it looked like you work out of a relatively small space. You know, it didn't didn't look like, at least from the pictures I saw, it didn't look like, you know, the traditional like pro mastering studios that are massive and have like racks and racks of amazing, expensive outboard gear and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on like, can people master from a home studio? Uh, first and foremost, is that what you're doing? Is like, do you yeah. have a, do you actually have a commercial space, or are you doing it from home? Yeah, no, this is a home studio. This is a yeah, a room in my flat. I think so. I I did have a commercial space, and it didn't sound as good as this room. And I paid it's a lot of that money happens, eh? for that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I went through the exact same experience. <laughs> I've had a I've had a couple of commercial spaces, um, and they've all had their problems. I mean, this room also has its problems, like, don't get me wrong. Um, but then, you know, what room is perfect? I think there's, like, you know, obviously an amazing dedicated mastering room, purpose-built, would be just an incredible place to work. But the reality is I come from a working-class background. I've had to save up for every single item of equipment and the tools that I use um you know I worked a full-time job until January 2020 mastering evenings and weekends just to make this a reality um you know it's not <laughs> a dedicated mastering space it's not um not something that it's not even I don't think it's something I want actually like it's not realistic but it's not something I want, like, I really like kind of being in here, being able to go and get a cup of tea whenever I want. Like, I don't feel like I'm at work. I feel like I'm in, like, a fancy living room or something. <laughs> like, I've got mood lighting. I've got my tape machine, you know, my nice speakers. That's all I need. Um, it's a nice place to be, whereas the commercial spaces I've used before haven't been and they've been quite expensive so yeah you can totally work from a home studio um i mean everything has its like pros and cons but yeah yeah i think that that's uh you brought up a couple of really good points there and you know i i totally agree with you that there isn't really a perfect sounding space you know, like you could you could hire someone to build you that perfect mastering room or like, you know, that that pro looking mastering room and, you know, built with the intention of mastering. But you're still going to move into that room and you're going to have to then learn what that room sounds like. And it's an adjustment. So it's almost like just work with what you've got, like learn that learn that room that you're in, whatever room that you're in right now, like just learn it really, really well. And you can work successfully out of there you can make a living out of out of it you know totally. whether it's home studio or bedroom or a pro studio it doesn't matter like you still have to learn the room regardless um so so yeah i'm with you on that like i you know i i've worked out of a bunch of big mastering studios or a bunch, bunch of big studios that have been like professionally built and it's like whenever it comes down to like mixing time whenever I've worked in those studios, like I, I just take it home all the time. It's like, I'd rather work in a small bedroom basement studio or whatever, <laughs> you know, than like to, to mix it. Cause I know the room better and like, I trust it more. So, you know, 
yeah, I mean, you spend enough time in any room, you're going to learn it. But, you know, why put yourself in debt trying to build this like massive space when you can still get great results from home? So I'm with you on that. You had mentioned your fancy speakers. And so I'm curious to know about that as well. Like, you know, is it important for someone getting into mastering to have fancy speakers or expensive speakers or can can anybody work off of any <laughs> any set of speakers? I don't know. I, I think like, you know, your speakers are your ears. Like they're how you how you hear things. Um, I don't think you need fancy speakers. I think you just need to know know your speakers really well. I started off using Channel X, um, which I don't know. I bought them when I was still a recording engineer. Um, they're not really seen as being mastering speakers or whatever, but. I knew them really well and I could hear stuff through them. So why not? Um, and then now I've got um, PMC 226s, which I saved up for like four years to buy. And I love them so much. And then I've got some Bowers and Wilkins 702 um, speakers as well, which are pretty beastly. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I feel like... It's a nice thing to have, but, you know, what, I feel like it all comes down to everything subjective, doesn't it? Because mm -hmm. we are making art and there's no right or wrong. And if something works for you, then, you know, that's all that matters really, isn't it? It's whatever you feel like you can do your, your best work on. Like, I don't feel like I've got to upgrade my speakers just because I see other mastering engineers using fancier speakers or whatever. Um, like maybe one day I'll upgrade because I hear some that I like more um, and that I can afford. <laughs> but um, yeah, for now I'm really happy with my speakers and I know them really well and um, yeah, just used to, used to listening to stuff on these. Right on. One other thing that I wanted to ask you about that seemed to be kind of a recurring theme on your website was that you've talked a lot, a lot about how feel is a really big part of your mastering process. And I'm curious to know, like, how does one go about creating feel while mastering? Um, I don't know that it's creating feel. I, gotcha. I think it's more what I feel and what other people feel when they listen to something. Um, so, you know, something that I used to do when I started, because I, you know, didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> there was a point where I, you know, kind of started to really surgically EQ things I was working on, um, and all my masters were leaving me flat, and I was like, why, why is this? And I realized that kind of... You know, if you if you go through with an EQ and and kind of select any frequency, it's gonna sound messy. <laughs> you know, if you really boost it, it will sound messy. But also that messy is what what gives the tone and the feel and the life. And so by kind of EQing all of that out, just you know, you can really destroy <laughs> destroy the feel of something. So I really like my masters to kind of, I guess, I guess not do that. Like they don't sound surgical or super clean. I really like 
Um, I really like to bring out sort of, I don't know, I guess sort of a bit of the caricature of the music in my mm -hmm. masters. Um, yeah, that's just something I really enjoy. Um, obviously, it's not it's not for all tracks and you have to <laughs> listen to things and say, you know, what does this song need? But um, yeah, that can be a really fun way of just kind of elevating a song. Um, just sort of, you know, thinking about the emotion behind it and what that's going to convey and, you know, how can I um, sort of enhance that? Mm -hmm. I like that. And I think you bring up a really good point there too about how if you're just kind of, I know it's a very common practice to like do that kind of um, sweeping method where you'll boost a, an EQ point, you know, with a very narrow cue and kind of sweep around. And you're right, like as you do that, it's all going to sound weird yeah. because <laughs> it's a, it's such an unnatural way of, of doing it. Um, but I think it's more a matter of just like, you know, when, when people are doing that, it's more to find like they already hear a tone in their head that they're trying to like identify. Yeah. And when they find it, then then you can then you can cut from there. But but yeah, if you're just blindly boosting things and sweeping around trying to find problems, you're you're going to find a lot of problems <laughs> and ultimately destroy your mix. That's right? it. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I really like using kind of compression and you know, just trying to, using compression not to necessarily compress, but to make the music move. And, you know, there's there's a lot of tools that you can sort of just use really, really sparingly and just to kind of create a little bit, a little bit of an extra something. Um, mm -hmm. But I never, I would like, I don't know, I've said this a thousand times in this podcast already. I'm not a technical person. I don't know, you know, I don't know all of the sort of, you know, the techniques or the words or whatever. But I've been a music fan for a long, long time. And I know how I feel when I listen to certain music. And that's what I'm trying to, um, that's what I'm trying to get across in my masters. Is, you know, I want people to feel something when they listen. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really healthy perspective to take, though, because you're you're listening to it like your fans are. Yeah. <laughs> and that's ultimately what matters. I'm the biggest fan of everyone I work with. Amazing. I love that. Uh, it makes <laughs> me so happy. <laughs> I love that. You, you kind of said that um, you tend to go to compression to, to help you with feel. Does do you tend to lean more towards compression than EQ for feel or I mean, I guess there's a time and place for both of them, right? Yeah, I, I definitely use both. Um, as with everything, it depends. At the moment, I really have been enjoying multiband compression a lot because you can kind of... And, you know, I wouldn't put... I mean, if something needed it, I would, but I wouldn't necessarily use multiband on all of the bands for the sake of it. But, um, you know, you can pick out one element, like maybe the bass needs to needs to move a bit more and you can just kind of just do that and then everything all of a sudden kind of moves together and you're like yeah okay cool this is good and so it can be something like that subtle or you know maybe using an expander on just the vocal area just to kind of give a tiny bit more movement to a vocal performance or something that can just 
you know, really change the feel of something. And it it doesn't need to be a lot. When I'm talking about this, I'm talking about the tiniest, tiniest amounts. But, you know, when you've also added your EQ and you've got your limiter and whatever else you want to put in there as well, that all adds up and makes quite a big difference. So it's IC mastering is like lots and lots of tiny changes that kind of all add to the bigger picture rather than, you know, a lot of people say, oh, what's your go-to mastering chain and all of that kind of stuff. And I don't really have one. It's all about like, you know, how can, how can I do what this music needs me to do um, to make the bigger picture like what it should be. Of course. I love that. So when you're starting a project, let's say, you know, someone sends you a track, what's your normal process look like? Like what's, what are your first few steps that you normally would do? Um, honestly, I, I just put, put the music on. Um, I don't even open it in WaveLab. Like I'll use iTunes or RX or something where I can't, I can't make any changes. And I'll just <laughs> listen to it and absorb it and, you know, just enjoy, enjoy the music. And, uh, Try and feel feel what it needs and, you know, maybe write some notes. Um, but, yeah, that's it. Like, once you start mastering, you're listening really critically. Whereas before you start mastering, I like to just kind of listen as a listener. And that really changes how kind of, I don't know, it stops me diving in and making any really crazy decisions off the bat because I'm listening as a fan I'm listening you know as a listener would listen it's a shit sentence isn't it <laughs> no but I know what you mean yeah no, that, makes, that makes sense <laughs> um I can't remember what I was saying now but yeah I, I just listen and it slows the whole process down and I think that is a good thing because then you're being much more intentional about any any kind of you know, steps that you take. And also, kind of, if there's any, you're basically quality checking the mixes if you listen intentionally on the first, you know, if you listen as a listener on the first go, because you're picking up any, like, clicks and pops, any distortions, anything that shouldn't be there. Whereas if you start mastering straight away and you just dive in on a chorus and start, you know, slamming it into a limiter, you're going to miss, like, you know, maybe the reverb tail at the very end has been cut off and you need to just shoot the mix engineer an email asking for like the full thing or whatever. You're going to miss that sort of level of detail, which is really important in mastering. Totally. No, I love that. I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, you're just, you're just listening and finding, you're creating that kind of roadmap for yourself for, for how you're going to tackle the project as opposed to, you know, slapping a template on there and being like, cool, this is what it sounds like through my template. I don't know what it sounded like before. Yeah, you know? <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really important. Um, yeah, I, I really, I, I think that that is a really big part of it is just listening and, you know, whether you are mixing or, or mastering, it's like you always want to have a game plan for things and, you know, find what's actually a problem in your track and, you know, not creating problems by just slapping on a template that is maybe creating new problems you know what i mean like sometimes sometimes people have templates that it's like they've got a preset in there that just undoes a lot of the good stuff and so you know i, I, I like that idea of just starting from scratch um 
Very cool. So then you, you mentioned that you don't have like a go-to signal chain that you typically always typically work with, but like, you know, I'm assuming you have go-to like plugins that might be like kind of at your fingertips, like ready to, to go with that kind of stuff. So what, 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 what kind of tools would you typically use when it comes to, um, you know, EQ or compression, that kind of stuff? Um, what would I use? That's a really good question. Uh, I really like the Sonox EQ. I think that sounds really nice. Um, I have an outboard Neve EQ and also, um, uh, an IGS tilt and bands EQ, which is like quite broad strokes. So I like both of those as well. Um, they don't always get used, but they sometimes do. Um, I think for compression, I always prefer to do compression in the box. I'm like, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a tweaker when it comes to compression. And yeah, I like to know that I can go back and, you know, whatever. Um, I quite like the Shadow Hills um, plugin, whatever that is. Compressor it's a pretty cool, pretty cool plugin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The thing with the thing I love about that plugin in particular is that like it just it's a character box. Like you don't even need to compress with it. Yeah. It just like you mess around with the, tr- the transformer settings on there, and it, you get a completely different sound on your mix. Totally. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's very cool. And then the the kind of multiband thing I've been using is the McDSP green multiband compressor limiter, whatever that is. Um, I've used it for limiting once, and I thought it was interesting, but I didn't super love it as a limiter. But for you know for multiband stuff like compressor and then expansion, I really like that. Um, and then limiters, I really like Sonox limiter, um, Fab Filter limiter, and the Limitless one as well. They're kind of you know, I would pick one of those three first before trying something else. Um, and if I can't get the sound I want with one of those three, it's just I know those the best. Um, and they're kind of, I'm thinking, right, this is the sound I want. I'll pick one of these. And then if, yeah, if it doesn't happen, then um, I'll try something different. But yeah, that's kind yeah. of... I don't know. Seems pretty standard. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not using anything crazy. Like, I, d- I don't really have many plugins. I'm not a plugin collector. I'd just rather, you know, f- be able to use the ones I do have really, really well. Um, I've got quite a few EQ plugins. Um, I don't know why. I just do. <laughs> but there's so many that I, I don't really do. u- use, you know? Um, so, yeah, I guess for EQ, I always kind of go back to the same ones but makes sense yeah you're familiar with those tools it's going to make you work faster so that makes sense yeah speaking of speed like how long does it typically take you to master a track it depends if it's a single um i'd probably spend an hour on a single and you know then any extra for revisions if there's any needed if it's an album um honestly some songs could take me anywhere up to two or three hours and then some songs might come together in 15 minutes. Um, but that's more to do with kind of the flow of the album and how the tracks relate to each other. Um, mm. Whereas kind of timing wise, it's much more consistent. <laughs> um, like an hour, a single, 
you know? Yeah, very cool. So then how do you ultimately know when you're done with a master? Uh, that's a really good question. <laughs> if I can listen to it and really kind of enjoy it and, you know, yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel it. I feel it. I've gotten really, really good. So um, I know kind of we talked about like when I started and I used to practice like matching stuff up with proper masters and stuff. Um, but I, I still practice <laughs> mastering. Um, and, you know, each week I'll pick a different thing. Um, and I'll just rotate the sort of things. So, you know, maybe one week I'll focus on compression. Another week I'll focus on um practicing making something really really loud next week i'll practice on really detailed eq or whatever um and then some weeks i practice just setting a timer for an hour and just not letting myself you know go past the timer and i always practice on stuff that i've mastered before anyway maybe like five or six years ago and then at the end when the time is gone i've got to go right does it sound better or worse than the one that I did, you know, originally? <laughs> and so that was the practice. Um, and, you know, um, maybe do that a few weeks of the year um, just to sort of, I don't know, it feels like good discipline to do that. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, it's definitely taught me that you can go too far and you can overthink things. I feel like when you... If you're searching for things to do for the sake of it and you're not saying in your head a reason why you need to do something, then you've gone too far. Um, whereas if you're like, okay, this kick drum needs more thump. Okay, this vocal needs more life. If you can say the reason out loud for doing something, then that's legit, that's fine. But as soon as you stop being able to give a reason for something and you're just going, oh you know, it feels like it could be better. That's when you've lost it. Um, mm -hmm. That's when you need to kind of step back and just kind of, you know, maybe come back to it tomorrow <laughs> and start afresh or, you know, send it to the artist and get some feedback. I think it's worth noting as well, like I really enjoy collaborating with artists and producers and mix engineers. I don't, I feel like there's, there's a bit of a thing in the industry where people feel like, oh, once they've sent something to mastering, that's it, that's over. Whereas I think it's so nice to be able to work collaboratively. And even though an artist might not know anything about mastering, they know music because that's what they do. <laughs> and you can learn so much by kind of, you know, having a conversation with them and just sort of being really open to their feedback. Um, that's really, really important to me. Um, so yeah, sometimes if I'm kind of struggling, especially if it's with someone who I've done a lot of work with before, you know, if I'm struggling, I'll just send it them and say, you know, give me some feedback. Let me know what you think of this. Um, yeah. or, you know, sometimes I'll just wait till the next day and start afresh. And is it better than the one I did yesterday? Yes or no. That kind of vibe. Yeah. But I think, I think just, you you kind of touched on this earlier in the episode, but um, you know, having those lines of communication with people, I think 
it, it creates a better experience for people because then they know you genuinely care about the work you're doing. You know, it, it like every, I feel like every time I've ever reached out to a band and, you know, after getting a, a track to master, it's like if I'm like, oh, this this seems to be a problem here. If we fix this, it'll make the mastering sound better, that kind of thing. People like are very receptive to that kind of thing because they're like, oh, great. That means like I get a better sounding product in the end. And, you know, they're excited about that. And they they, they know that you care and they trust you even more because of that. So, yeah, it makes sense to collaborate with people and have those lines of communication as much as possible because it just makes a better experience for everyone. And hopefully that means return business as well. So, totally. yeah, very cool. And if something that you work on sounds amazing, it looks great for you. And mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, if you're in a team... Everyone's got the same end goal, which is to make, you know, whatever you're working on sound the best it can. So why not go for it? Yeah, 100 percent. And I also love that you you kind of outlined some of your practice techniques, too. I think that's, uh, <laughs> no, I think that's really cool. Like, oh, you've got to practice. A... You've got to practice. It's like, an, you know, it's like if, um, I don't know, singers, they practice all the time. You, just because you go professional at something doesn't mean that you like you know stop practicing it's um yeah it's like lifelong learning in it of course yeah i love that I, and it's something i definitely do myself too I, I i always try to reserve at least like an hour or so like once every week or two just to like you know sit down try kind of do like what you did there like open up an old session and just experiment with that yeah. or even learn new plugins like if, if it's like oh i have 20 different eqs it's like why do why do i have 20 different eqs what do they sound like how are they different that kind of stuff like you can really spend that time however you want but it's just it's strengthening your skills and making you a better engineer so that you can quickly recall the plugins that you need when you need them and, and make the make the decisions you need to very quickly so um yeah i love that and even like you brought up the point of just like cutting yourself off at an hour i think that's great too <laughs> Sometimes those restrictions are the best ones because they force you to work from the gut. And it amazes you sometimes when you think you put this impossible challenge on yourself and, and you actually accomplish it. And it's like, oh, maybe I don't need to to worry about it as much next time around, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? Sometimes um, I don't always set it for an hour. Sometimes I'll go, OK, let's see if I can master a track in 15 minutes. Let's just see where I get up to. Yeah, And like, you know, it's not something I'd want to give to an artist or release or something but it's really interesting to see what you can achieve in 15 minutes or half an hour or an hour like I don't know that's really fascinating to me of course yeah that's something that even like I do I do one-on-one coaching with a lot of students and that's one of the challenges I give people too it's like I'll tell them like make a mix in 30 minutes and I know that a 30 minute mix is not going to sound great but it's almost like when you see the things that take up the time in the beginning of the process, like those are the things that you can automate and things that you can like, you know, build out for yourself so that you don't have to like spend so much time doing that. Or you find the systems to optimize that process and make things go faster. And so, yeah, putting time constraints on yourself is, is such a, a fun challenge and, and such a great learning experience too. So, so yeah, I love, I love that you're a continual learner and, uh, yeah, I mean, Hey, it got you to this point, right. Where you're like full time with this, you're making amazing records and you did it all yourself. So that big congratulations for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we should start to wrap up a little bit, but, uh, if people want to learn more about you, follow you online or even potentially work with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, so I have a website, which is katydavini.co.uk. Um, my mastering collective is called weird jungle. So that is weirdjungle.com. Um, we also have weird jungle Instagram and then just my personal socials are just hate to be any 
I'm the only one of me and Google, so it's pretty easy awesome. to find. Um, yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely add those in the show notes so people can access that as well. Fab. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. It's been awesome. So that was my interview with Katie Tavini, and I think that we covered a lot of really important topics there. Katie isn't a super technical person, as she mentioned in the interview, but I think that when you listen to her work, it really does prove that you don't need to get super caught up in technical specs and, you know, the the quote-unquote right ways to do things, because when you do that, sometimes it takes you out of the music. Sometimes it forces you to think more like an engineer and not like a fan. And when you're a mastering engineer or if you're a mixing engineer, you do always need to keep that big picture view of what gets people excited, what makes them move, what makes them feel the music. So I think that everything Katie covered here really does help to emphasize that big picture perspective and how that's so important and how that when you're listening, you just want to be listening with intent. And that intent isn't all about the technical perfection. It's about the big picture stuff and and the feel and the movement and all that stuff that we just talked about. So yeah, definitely focus on that when you're working on your tracks. And I think you're going to get much, much better results. So yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation and I hope that you did too. And if you did and you want to hear more episodes like this, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. That way you're notified about all new episodes as they go live each and every Wednesday morning. And make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com if you're looking for help with creating pro sounding recordings from your home studio. And on that website, I've got tons of great resources designed to help make that process easy for you. And one that you're definitely going to want to check out is a book called The Mixing Mindset. Inside of that book, I break down the process of mixing step by step, showing you what to do, what to listen for, how to dial in the settings, which tools to use, all that kind of stuff so that you know exactly what to do and so that it eliminates all of the guesswork from the process. So once again, make sure to check that out. It's called The Mixing Mindset and that's available at MasterYourMix.com. So that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for sticking around to the very end and I can't wait to chat with you in the next one. We'll talk soon. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.